Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Okay, so if you don't know who I am, my name is Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity. A very warm welcome to you. I am super excited to bring the Word of God to you this morning. For those of you who've been joining uh, with us online, say hello to the guys online or for you guys here in person. We've been going through this series called Alive in Christ. But last week, what did we do? We paused that for what? Hold on, I know my, I know like two people in the front know. It was what last week? When we celebrated how many years? Ten. Ten years of Trinity Central being planted in Vancouver. Can we put our hands together for that? Okay, we wanted to say to Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we honor you. And Jesus, we celebrate you. Now, do you think last week is the only week that we get to party? Really? Is that it? Is this a morgue? No, we're in the after party. We're still going. We're back and alive in Christ. And we are rocking and rolling with a new semi-series, well, semi, 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 uh, a topic called fear. Ooh. And we're going to talk about this one one to three times over the coming weeks. So guys, stay tuned for this. Our scripture passage is in the book of Numbers. So could you guys turn to the book of Numbers? The book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament, starting in chapters 13 and 14. So if you guys could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Today we are going to address this question. What is the impact of and remedy to fear? What is the impact of and remedy to fear? How do we answer that question biblically? Well, to open this topic up, the impact of acting on fear, its consequences, its ramifications can be significant. Because fear can cost us relationships. It can prevent us from really amazing opportunities and experiences. The greater the fear is, the greater the impact can be, and the greater the reward may feel after pushing through that fear, albeit in the right set of circumstances. For example, some years ago, my 18-year-old self joined about 25 people at Whistler Bungee Jump. Anyone been there to Whistler Bungee Jump? Right? So we go to Whistler Bungee Jumps, a whole bunch of men, young men and young women, kind of just trying to figure out who we are. We walk up to this 160 foot straight down bridge over a rushing river, and we look down. And we ask each other, who has the greatest fear of heights? Who thinks that this threat of gravity is going to take them to the ground? So we started joking around. Different people went first, they were shaking and screaming. We took our bets. The employee would say something really important. When you walk up, the employee says, wait. Put your bungee cord on. Wait. And then you jump, right? It's very important you listen to that employee. Probably the most important decision you'll make in that, like, five seconds. Right, so I walked up. I didn't think I was afraid. He has all these girls watching. But this is the, this, trust me, you'll find out what happens next. I, I think I'm strong. I go like this. I pretend to be Superman. And I jump off like this. And about 10 centimeters into the free fall, I go, some combination of Michael Phelps and Lance Armstrong in the air. <laughs> like, you know, just completely freaked. 
right? Didn't make a difference. The bungee cord still saved me. And the problem is this, right? Fear needs to be addressed. Some fears seem more reasonable than others. In this case, my fear was probably unnecessary. The employee was trustworthy. The bungee cord was secure. I was protected from the ground. But I still had to choose to jump. I had to have faith to go. And then my new fear was how I deal with the embarrassment of looking like a swimming cyclist in the air. But life doesn't always feel like we're living safe with a bungee cord, does it? Why are, we, why are we acting in one way or the other? So let's press into this topic of fear biblically a little bit more seriously. The birth of fear, the origin of fear, the Bible says, is in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, chapter 8, the Bible says, And they, Adam and Eve, after disobeying God, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Verse 10, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Now what does he say? And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So friends, we see that fear, the birth of fear is a result of the breakdown in relationship between creator and creature. The breakdown of relationship with God and humanity births fear in us. In choosing knowledge for themselves instead of obedience to God, sin entered the world and fear caused humanity to hide. Now, unfortunately, we start our position of life in this manner. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we revisit this a couple times in the last weeks, that we start in Adam. We begin our journey in the sin of Adam. So let's define ourselves here. Let's define what exactly we're talking about. We see from this a biblical definition that fear is a distressing state or feeling caused by some threat, however real or perceived, that challenges our faith and trust in God's promises, provision, and ultimate protection. There can be a range, like I was just joking about, something silly or something more intense. I'm sure many of us have felt fear in our lives. Does anyone know what FOMO stands for? What does FOMO stand for? Fear of missing out. A lot of people have FOMO. Exclusion. Failure. Fear of being fired from your job. Fear of bankruptcy. Fear of family breakdown. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of not being liked. Fear of disapproval from peers. Fear of not being loved. Fear of abuse. All of which affect our self-value. And this is why it's so important that we talk about this today. Right? 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 Good. Would you join me as I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and that it reveals the truth of who you are to us. I thank you, Jesus, that we no longer have to be afraid because of who we are in you. I pray, God, that as I preach the word, I pray that we would be ears to hear and are no longer afraid because of Jesus, the mighty Savior. Amen. Thank you. So let's turn to our passage, Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to read from the ESV. Numbers 13, 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So we see in these couple of verses, we see that God calls his people into a promise by relationship. Our passage says, God says, spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. God says, I'm giving it. It's a gift. So receive it. It's not one of the little Israelite boys saying this, right? Like, go run. (laughs) Check it out. It's not a power or principality on earth. It's not the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's not other kings. It's the creator. It's the very same God we were just reading about. God says in verse 3 to go. He sends them. So Moses sends according to the command of the Lord. So God's commanded this. This is a matter of obedience or disobedience. It's a commandment. See my gift, he says. He wants to bring them into goodness, provide a context for those he loves to thrive and to flourish. And so instantly, as we saw with Adam and Eve, and just like in our passage now in Numbers chapter 13, we're addressed with a statement. The assurance and certainty of the results are rooted in the quality and trustworthiness of the person making the promise. The assurance and certainty of entering into the promise is rooted, is based on the quality of the trustworthiness of the person making the promise. Just a guy with a bungee jumping employee said, wait, wait, go. The Lord God says, go. Will we believe it? Well, we enter the promises of God by what? By faith. Our passage gives us a hint. Verse 2, it says, From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man. Verse 3, who were heads of the people of Israel. Fathers and heads. Representatives of Israel, which is the new name of, uh, of the people, from a person, Jacob. And this is familiar history for a Jewish person. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go from here to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your offspring, I will give it. And how did Abraham appropriate that promise? Genesis 15, verse 6, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So whereas Adam and Eve distrusted God, they go on isolating themselves, hiding themselves from God. They hide in a bush. Abraham trusted God. He put his assurance in God. He goes by faith to a foreign land. We see the relationship with God and man through Abraham Abraham is reestablished now by a covenant, which is just like a, a word that means agreement. God says, I will not leave you or forsake you now. God is committed to Abraham's people, and Israel is in a trusting relationship to help them process every threat that may or may not cause them to fear. I wonder if you guys could think of someone who you really deeply trust. I need to picture that person. Maybe you have more than one. If you don't have a person who you can really deeply trust, stay tuned. There's good news for you. Even if you do, there's still good news, but it's like especially good news. This past week, uh, my wife Rochelle and I, we visited someone who just gave birth to their first child in the hospital. 
And this is someone who my wife, Rochelle, is very good friends with. They grew up together um, in high school, which is like some 20 years ago. Um, didn't want to date her, but uh, so I wanted to date her to marry her, but I didn't want to age her with that comment. Rochelle was um, her first call. This, this friend's first call to come see her newborn baby was Rochelle. And when Rochelle arrived, uh, her friend gave her the baby right away. There's no fear of, of there was no, there's no distrust between them with the most very precious thing that she had just given birth to, right? And the reason why is because over the years, Rochelle and this friend have developed such a strong relationship. Through the highs and lows, they've been there for each other, and that reality manifested itself in that baby situation, right? Maybe you guys can relate to someone like that. At this point in time, friends, God has walked with Israel for generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 400 years in Egypt, and now present by pillar of cloud and by day and by fire by night, providing for the Israelites in the desert. So when we arrive in Numbers 13, the relationship of trust, the covenant, the promise of Abraham, should be something that informs the behavior of God's people, right? Okay, let's continue our passage. Numbers 13, but let's jump ahead to verse 25. Maybe you guys know what's coming. Verse 25 says, They, the spies, brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they have evidence of the fruit. They hold it up, probably. So far, so good. There's fruit, there's milk, there's honey. God is true to his word. But we see in this passage something that happens next, which is detrimental. Our relationship with God is impacted by acting on fear. Our relationship with God, friends, is impacted significantly by acting on fear. Verse 28, however, 10 of the 12 spies say, that's me inserting that, the people who dwell in the land, they say, are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, who were giants. Picking up in verse 31, they continue. They say, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that saw it in it are of great height. And so, friends, we see in this passage that acting on fear, we can wait <clears throat> when God says go. We can shrink back from God's provision and hide when God says, I am there. Right? Our passage says there are reasons to fear. Did you guys see that there were reasons? There actually are real threats. There's no denying that. It says they are stronger than we are, their cities are fortified, their giants are of great height. But this is like the most important part of what I'm going to say probably moving forward. What are they comparing their threats to? To people. What is the comparison here between? Verse 31 is the key. They say there's stronger people than dot, 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 than we are. Their cities are fortified very large, implying so that we cannot break them down. The giants are of greater height than who? Than we are. The comparison, friends, is between people versus other people. 
between creation versus creation, not between creator versus creation. And who knows the creator? God's people. And so, friends, we see the impact of acting on fear, of relating threats to self, and of not relating threats to God is actually self-destruction. If we choose to isolate and to hide ourselves from God, then we are choosing self-destruction. It happened to Adam, it happened to Eve, and it's happening here. Fear leaves us in the dark, hiding in a bush. In chapter 14, right, so if you want to turn the page over to chapter 14, we'll pick up the story. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh say to the people of Israel, in 14 verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And what happens? Verse 10, Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So here we have a self-destructive decision. God-fearing, godly leaders, we want to kill. <laughs> Friends, the impact of fear we see first results in infighting. Disunity among brothers and sisters of the same family and on the same team. And we have to all recognize this. I remember when I was a kid, you know, with my brother or on the table, dinner table, would be like, I tried to steal his food. You know, he'd be afraid. And that would result in what? You know, him, him stealing some of my food. This kind of interchange between us that brought so much disunity. This is what we're seeing here. Brothers and sisters of the same family, of the same promise, fighting. After this, God, by grace, maintains his promise, not by destroying the rebels, but by allowing them to roam in the desert for the next generation of his people to go in. But what do the rebels do? If we pick up later in chapter 14, jumping to verse 40, we'll see. The rebels double down. It's like, we're, we're all in on this. We, we want to continue to act on fear. So they solidify their self-destruction. Verse 40, the rebels say, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses says, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down by your enemies. And what do they choose? They choose to go up to the land that God had promised them without God's help. And in verse 45, it says, Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Horma. And so if we look at their motivation after they've been called out for acting in fear, it looks like they are responding with some sense of fear of failure, for fear of rejection. Oh no, God, God really said we can't go in. Fear of exclusion. We talked about FOMO before. Fear of missing out on the promises of God. That's what we see here in their behavior. But what does it cause them to do? Friends, it causes them to lead, uh, sorry, it leads them to take matters into their own hands, to attempt to take the promised land without God. And the result is that they fall by the sword. So when we listen to fear, fear says to us we have something to prove 
you're not safe, your future in God is not secure, you're not loved, you're not valued, so go after it on your own. Acting on fear leads to that ultimate breakdown of relationship with God, which we see here in this passage. It can lead to a form of legalism, which emphasizes doing over being and believing in what God has already done for us. Now, I uh, graduated college uh, at UBC maybe some five years ago now, and I had to look for a job. And in looking for that job, there were some expectations I had initially about what that job might look like. And I remember processing with Reese what a future would look like, maybe uh, joining Trinity Central at the time. There wasn't an opportunity for me to be staff here. And it was difficult because my expectations of what it would be like to re-enter the job market was, you know, weren't necessarily aligned with what the opportunities were. And I ended up taking a job that was, I was really blessed to have that uh, was a data entry-level job. <laughs> and I had so much fear of, did I make a mistake by graduating, pursuing this one degree that I'm now not applying right now in what I'm doing? And I had to process that with God. My expectations of what these things would look like weren't good. And then I stepped into working by God's grace for Trinity Central back in March of 2020. And something crazy hit in March of 2020. The second week that I started working for the church, COVID shut us down. And once again, I had to process what uh, my expectations were for how I was going to walk with what God had given, the plans that I thought God had called me into, the promises that I thought God had for me. And by God's grace, here we are. Here we are. Right? So I had, I had, I had fear in my heart. Church, I had fear in my heart that, this, that we would not, I, I didn't know what this would look like. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the future. Right? Here we are. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So don't just take my word for it in terms of my example there. From our passage, the remedy to fear, right? We just looked at the impact of fear. We see the remedy of fear is faith. From Numbers 13, verse 30, we see the response of Caleb. Caleb, one of the spies who goes in, quiets the people while the other spies were saying, we can't do it. He goes in and says, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are, he says, in verse 30, well able to overcome it. Why does he say that? We already talked about this in chapter 14, verse 9. Caleb says, they are bread for us. They're, they're enemies. And, and the word bread is not like they're bread like animals, like breeding. It's like a loaf of bread. It's like wheat. They are like food for us. I'm gluten-free, but, you know, there's gluten-free bread. He says, their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So friends, I want you to picture the biggest threat you have in your life right now. I want you to, I want you to name some things that threaten you. You don't have to name it out loud. You can if you want. Just go through this process of what are things that threaten me that make me feel fear? I have that thing in your mind. And God says to you that that thing, when he calls you to walk through it, which is important, we're going to clarify that in a second, is a piece of bread. That thing is food. That thing is something that you should not fear. 
the reason why that thing is bread is because the relationship that Caleb is talking about, the relationship he's calling on, the comparison that he's drawing on, is between him and his God. He says, God is with us. So friends, the threats in your life are pieces of bread because God is with you by his presence. And so we see the remedy, the cure that our passage talks about that relieves fear is faith. By comparing what is possible not with man, with God. By entrusting every threat to our always present Lord. By submitting all things to his rule and his reign and his authority. And friends, we see that acting by faith, we go when God says go. We take heart when God says take heart. So we ask ourselves, what does our faith in God have for us now? Trinity Central. Do we actually believe that God has good things in store for us? Or is our essential framework of belief based on existential fate, Murphy's Law, that anything can go wrong, will go wrong, and the worst will happen? Where is our understanding that God is with us? That God is with us. That God is with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All threats are pieces of bread. By the way, when I read that, I, I couldn't, like, I had to, like, look up that word and be like, is this, is this real? Is this real? Caleb says this? So the impact of acting on faith in God's, in God's promises is not self-destruction. It's the opposite. It's God's protection. When we operate in the promises that God calls us to execute and walk into, we are protected by him. God is true to his promises. So further ahead, we were in the book of Numbers primarily. We skip a few um, books, skip Deuteronomy and jump into Joshua, uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. The people shouted, the, the very walls that they were afraid of, that the spies were actually accurate about, that there was this threat. The very walls of Jericho, when the trumpets were blown, blown it says in verse 20, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And so, friends, we can take heart because God does not deny that there are threats in our lives. He just empowers us to overcome them by his presence. God is faithful, and he delivers on his promises. And the ultimate act of faith, the ultimate act of God stepping into his promises to provide for us and protect us, protect us is seen in Jesus. We see in Jesus' crucifixion, we see a death to hiding. We see a death to fear. We see death to sin. On the night Jesus was captured in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, the Bible says, And they, the disciples, all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. They were afraid. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left, right? He fled with a linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, I couldn't help draw the comparison between how we started and how we're going to end. In fear, Adam and Eve hid naked. We have the disciples hiding, running away in fear. And it just so happens they end up, one of them ends up naked, <laughs> Right? The comparison we see here 
is that Jesus, the moment his disciples were terrified and abandoned him, stepped forward and said, I am he. And he received a kiss of betrayal and he went to the cross. Hallelujah. Christ didn't hide in a bush. Christ, when he saw the enemy coming towards him with clubs and sticks, swords, he didn't give a bad report. He wasn't like the spies who went over and came back and turned around to his disciples and said, this is not going to work. Christ said, I can do this. Christ didn't compare his situation with the inherent strength of man. Jesus trusted the Father. He said, everything the Father does, I do. He lived a life of perfect obedience, walked into be shamed and mocked and scorned and beaten and laughed at and hung on a tree for the sins of the world. And friends, the remedy to the disciples' fear was faith. Faith in the very person that they abandoned. Christ comes crashing in with grace, and when we believe in Jesus, we find ourselves participating in what he's done on our behalf. By faith in Christ, we are not hiding naked in a bush. We're not giving a bad report like the spies. We're not fleeing by the, like the disciples. By faith, we are in Christ. By faith, we are dead to sin. Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the question I had for us when I read that was, how afraid is a dead body? The body is already dead. What is the dead body afraid of? It's afraid of nothing. So someone asks you, where is your fear? You can say it's right there. It's in the ground. As disciples of Jesus, receivers and participators in his grace, we are dead to fear. All the trust that Jesus Christ had in God's provision is appropriated to us by faith. All the striving is done with. Jesus' perfect obedience is a gift. In Christ, the relationship with God is restored. The issue of our value is settled on the cross. That's point of clarification here is that the promises of faith are not immunity. We haven't said this so far. It's not immunity from every manifestation of hurt, pain, and suffering. So it's not invincibility. It's not being bulletproof. There's not this myth that God calls us to bash through every wall all the time and to be needless casualties of war. And the point is to, to, for us to understand what it is actually that Jesus is calling us into. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, and the Bible says, and calling the calling and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so friends, Jesus calls us into death. But there is grace in this story as Jesus was resurrected. And so, friends, Jesus calls us also into life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. <laughs> 
And so, friends, when we go on God's mission, there are risks. There are threats. Many of us have experienced that just in trying to share the gospel with people who we know in this very city. But it is totally worth it. It is totally worth it because of the resurrection, because of the proof, the vindication that Jesus was who he says he was. So Jesus calls us to be, we're talking about baptism next week, two weeks from now, baptizing into death and being raised in glorious life, living dead to sin, living dead to fear, living alive in everything that Jesus has promised us. And now fear is no more, right? So how do we apply this? Well, ask the question. And I tip my hat to theologian Russell Moore on this one, who I was reading. We ask the question, what are you afraid of? Friends, are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of missing out? By faith in Christ, you've been included in the greatest rescue mission of all time. Are you afraid of shame? Are you afraid of something you've done in your past? In Christ, you've already stood trial and been executed. Are you afraid of death? Well, friends, by placing your trust in Jesus' actions on your behalf, you will rise again. And so now we're given a choice. We can either act on, in, on faith or on fear, but we cannot act on both. We have seen that those who walk in fear, who isolate themselves from a constant relationship of engaging with their father, leads to self-destruction. So because of fear, we sit under a breakdown between God and man. But because of Jesus, by his grace, we're able to walk by faith. We're able to see what Caleb and Joshua saw. The lens through which we see our circumstances, friends, is through Christ and through what he's done for us. Faith says to our hearts through Jesus, you have something to gain. You are safe. Your future in God is secure. God deeply, deeply loves you and you are his treasured possession. So friends, let's obey God's call. Let's not ignore it and let's not hide it. I wonder if in, in response we could just stand if we could just stand, I'd just like to invite the band up. And maybe so abundantly clear in our story for Caleb and for Joshua and for those walking into a land that they feel so clearly God has promised them through their heritage, through their upbringing, through the stories that they've told, it may, be, it may, may seem more clear that they operated in fear. For us, it may not be evident exactly how we are operating in fear and how that might take us, uh, how that might impact the way we're operating for Jesus. And so what I'd love to do is I would just love to welcome the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I'd love for the Holy Spirit to address areas in which we might be afraid, particularly areas that we might be afraid that prevent us from going into the promised land that prevent us from stepping into the good and wonderful things that God has for us. So would you guys just join me as I do that? Does that sound good? Does that sound great? Okay, good. Yeah, come Lord. Come Lord, we welcome you here. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. We're so thankful for you, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful for you. 
Jesus, we're so thankful for what you did. We thank you that you went to the cross, that you were faithful to God's plan and to God's mission when everyone else abandoned you. Jesus, we thank that we see in you perfect obedience to the Father. And we thank you, Jesus, where we cannot be perfectly obedient, where we are in Adam and where we are sinful, we latch on to you by faith. And you take us all the way into death and all the way out into resurrection. And now, Jesus, we thank you that we...